hello, and welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford, on the Feisty Media Network. I'm so excited today to get to chat with Cassandra Spring of Live Cycling. Oh my gosh. So Cassandra is Liv's global marketing manager, which means she spends her time working on dozens of different projects throughout the season. So if you're someone, I'd say like myself, who's kind of balancing a bunch of different projects that are all in different stages of completion, she has some fantastic advice for keeping everything organized. Uh, We even get a little bit granular on switching to a different task management software and the ups and downs of doing that, uh, especially when you're, you know, in the middle of 12 different bike launches over, say, a three month period, Uh, you know, and that's on top of all of like the racing, the, you know, social media promotions, all of that stuff. Oh, my gosh, we just went all over the place with what it looks like to kind of do a lot of the marketing for this major, major brand and how to... Really, what I think is so impressive about Liv is that they they managed to keep everything feeling so authentic, so fun, uh, while still really promoting the professional side of the sport. Uh, this whole episode actually really inspired me to uh, shift uh, my my new goals for all of the content that I produce to be about sort of three key E's, because you know we all love uh any number of letters uh, type situation. So by the end of this conversation, we were talking about the fact that Liv's mission really seems to be to educate, to entertain, and to elevate women's cycling. Uh, Those are my words, not their manifesto or anything, but I've kind of adopted that as my own way of looking at all of the content that I create. I think it's just such a good model as you're thinking about how you want to market your business, uh, almost no matter what you're in, whether you're a coach or you're a yoga studio owner or you're you know, just starting out a small product-based business like we've been talking about this month. I think there's just so many valuable takeaways in here when it comes to figuring out how to reach your public and meet them both where they are and also where they, they want to be, where they want to go. So I think it's, it's such a cool conversation. But without further ado, I will let Cassandra speak for herself. Enjoy this episode with Cassandra Spring. All right. Cassandra, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so glad we finally are getting to do this. Yay. Uh, Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. And um, yes, I think uh, timing is actually perfect. Um, It's Yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of the podcast and really grateful for this opportunity. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, I love, you know, we've, we've had a few different women who work at Live on the podcast in the past few months. And yeah, as you said, this is sort of perfect timing to get you on as Liv's global marketing manager. We are coming up on the, you know, 100 days till the Tour de France Femmes of X Swift. And that's a honking big deal for you. So thanks for carving out the time to to talk about it. And uh, yeah, super stoked to get into all of that. So let's start with the very broad question of what exactly does the Live global marketing manager do? <laughs> so, um... I guess, you know, how much time do we have? Right. (laughs) Um, But uh, what I love about my role as the head of the global marketing is that, um, you know, I work with a team that's very clear on our mission of getting more women on bikes. So every day we're working to create more opportunities, more visibility, more access, more resources for women throughout their cycling journey. Um, as a manager, I work with a team of very purpose-driven leaders working in a you know, values-aligned capacity. So as you mentioned, you spotlighted two of those leaders, Jen Adia and Elizabeth Walker. 
Um, but each of our team members has really tremendous expertise and knowledge that informs decisions that always are laddering up to our strategy. Um, and so more like kind of more specifically um, as a global marketing manager, we are, you know, establish our overarching goals and objectives on a yearly basis. We outline specific plans for how they're gonna be achieved across our product and gear marketing, sports marketing, partnerships, content planning, as well as kind of retailer and digital marketing efforts. Um, so it's a lot, and um, but being a strengths-based leader, I'm really, I'm looking for kind of capacities and existing strengths and how they can be supported um, for impact, right? So this year, especially, um, we've talked about how openly about how do we play to our strengths. And as a global marketing team, um, we are setting strategy and creating assets that are leveraged around the world. So we do also have that benefit of working with live leaders in, you know, yeah, all countries on continents and countries with really thorough representation across the globe. I love it. I love it. And I have to imagine, you know, cycle, the cycling world is just so different from almost any other place that you're working in your capacity because so much is changing. I mean, even if we're not thinking about like the 2020 year and what that marketing, I'm, mess isn't even a strong enough word, just what that whole shit show looked like, if I'm being honest. Um, in a normal year, any given year, you know, you have so much going on and it's with the cycling, you know, with a cycling company, it's not just about oh, we have this new bright, shiny bike. Like here, we put it in a magazine and now we're done. Um, you have, you know, Liv, Liv has tons of teams and racers. And as you mentioned, ambassadors and all of these other moving parts. So, oh my gosh, how do you keep everything organized? I was going to save the like really nitty gritty for last, but I'm now just really interested in how on earth you go from these very global, broad scale, like, okay, here's sort of our yearly annual marketing plan to like, okay, Perry roubaix is this weekend. What do we need to do with that? Yeah, um, it's a great question. And actually this year, I've really been impressed with um, collectively, like the commitment towards up-leveling. But one thing that's been hugely helpful is we're on a, a product management platform called monday.com. Mm. And that really allows us to um, track projects and bring in collaborators. And not only do that, you know, of course, from a global team perspective, but across um, cross-functionally with other departments in the company. So that's really helpful. We're still, as you can imagine, there's a learning curve with every new you know, platform. And so I've been so grateful to Hannah Castro, who's another Live Global team member, because she's championed Monday and she's like bringing us all along. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm one of those people that I'm a, a natural journaler and I like having lists of things. And um, but I'm really trying to transfer some of that knowledge to Monday and to a board, quote unquote, on Monday so that I can have a lot of things in the same place. So that's a, that uh, platform is, is really powerful and beneficial. Slack is a great tool for us as a distributed team as well. Like it's for those really quick questions and or um, as a global marketing team, we have twice weekly huddles. So it's a place where we're really tracking um, not only topics for those conversations, we also share inspiration and, um, you know, kind of, yeah, general uh, 
um, you know, story hits and things that we're excited about in that space. And then probably the most important thing is, is my calendar. You know, I kind of live and die by my calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it kind of might not happen. So I'm pretty obsessed with it. And, um, you know, one thing that has been a benefit this year, I guess more recently is just blocking out time for, you know, physical, for my physical needs, like strength training and even going for a ride. And, you know, those types of, they're valuable and they do contribute to overall productivity. Mm-hmm. So to the best of my ability, also like calendaring that. Um, but those are kind of the key ways. Um, and then organizationally, we have quarterly live summit meetings where we bring together our um, leaders from sales companies around the world for um, on focused topics. But it's really also an opportunity for that idea and inspiration sharing based on their experience. I mean, it's where we really get a picture of what's happening, you know, on the ground in different parts of the world. It's really valuable. And then recently in March um, in Taiwan, where Giant Group is headquartered, they have what they call house show. And that is where we have visitors, um, not everyone, but representation from teams around the world coming together to in one space to share kind of here's the product that's coming forward and here are the strategies and plans. And um, that's like an amazing reunion of sorts, of course, with the pandemic conditions, we had our last one, January 2020, and then cut to March 23. So that was like, it was really incredible to just have that energy and that opportunity to reconnect and really have like, you know, more in-depth conversations. And, you know, yeah, so I can go on. But I, I think that organizationally, <laughs> all those things happen where it's like virtually, how do I use the tools? And then when I have opportunities you know, IRL and on the ground, how can we really, you know, allow that to, to inform the work and to up-level what we're doing. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I'll say I'm actually really excited because I'll get to see a lot of the live crew out at Sea Otter in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's years now since I've gotten to see everyone. And I'm just like, I feel like this is the first time in like a decade that I've been this excited about going to a like bike event because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to feel like a family reunion. Also, it's going to be sunny and I'm in Canada right now, but that's <laughs> that's just like an added bonus. <laughs> um, I love what you mentioned there, just about the exercise into your calendar. And we talk about this a lot on this podcast, the idea of combining our calendars, because I think so many of us have like our regular calendar, like our work life, whatever. And then we have our training calendar sort of like over here in training peaks or just like in another app or something. And then we, you know, it just doesn't get prioritized because you have to open a new window to see what you have on, but having that like actually in there, so smart. Thanks. It's, it's one that I believe in the, it's value. And also as somebody, I, Um, you know, in the work sphere, I think it's good modeling, but I also sometimes I'm like, this is okay. You know, I still have to claim it. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Still kind of claiming that space because again, it is that belief of like, it does serve the work and my wellness, not only just like foundationally that, but also as a thinker, as a, you know, strategic thinker and a a doer too, I need that kind of, yeah, that energy and Mm -hmm. uh, get from those pursuits. 
Yeah. And this is another question I've been asking, you know, anyone who works in sort of these more cycling or any of the outdoor industries um, versus, you know, someone who has like their own small business. Do you feel like, especially as a woman, there is a certain expectation that you maintain a certain fitness level in order to be taken seriously in this space? Because this is something that I have definitely contended with my entire career, I would say. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting and it's an important question. I think for me, I've really, there's, I've long recognized the benefits of staying really physically active and fit. I'm wired in a way, I think you are too, that requires exercise as yep. part of my routines. <laughs> um, and I'm really passionate. I'm a passionate cyclist, you know, so while mountain biking is like my favorite, I dabble in all of the things I've done cyclocross in the past. I love gravel riding. I find fitness with the road. But my goal these days, like perennially, is to like be fit enough to say yes to invitations, knowing that I can hold my own. And that invitation, like I was just at the Bicycle Leadership Conference a few weeks ago, and there was a, you know, like the group ride that was like, oh, it's not, <laughs> it's not slow. <laughs> so yeah. it's just those things were like holding my own and feeling like, yeah, I, I show up in that. And I mean, again, it's like one of those fortunate overlaps of like, I love to ride and I love to be able to do adventures with confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and so even though I don't come from a professional racing background, I have, you know, as I've raced enough to understand the commitment that is required of elite athletes. And, um, you know, I also see the contributions that I'm making to the cycling industry. Um, they don't hinge necessarily on my bike skills or my speed, right? Rather, they're really connecting to my capacity to think strategically, to work collaboratively, and to respond to the shifting needs of, a, of diverse writing communities. I think that's really important too, right? Like having that uh, just um, awareness around that. But um, it always feels good when you can, you know, represent well for yourself on a group ride. A hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> I like that, that final note, but it always feels good when, uh, you know, you're in the mix. <laughs> Absolutely. I was, uh, I was actually talking to Leslie Patterson a few weeks ago before when she got her Oscar nomination. I mean, oh my God, I've never, I, I never watched the Oscars in my entire life. And I was like glued to the TV. Um, so yeah, she, she, but those who don't know, she's the screenwriter for All Quiet on the Western Front, which took home three or four Oscars, which is just like bananas. Um, but I was talking to her and I was asking her about like, if, you know, how she's, if she's still riding and stuff, she's like, oh yeah, I'm still training. She like dropped it so casually. She's like, I'm still training like three to five hours a day or something like that. I was just like, oh dear Lord. Um, Three-time World Xterra champion for anyone who doesn't know her, but I was like, uh, you know, cycling is the new golf. Are you taking people on rides and stuff? She's like, oh yeah. Like I was just doing a thing with Navy SEALs and I was just like dropping them on this climb. And oh my God, <laughs> so I was just like, oh my God, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah. She's definitely uh, a hero of mine as well. I'm really impressed by her. Just so amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay, here's the deal. You wanna take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. 
Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient and then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Okay, coming back to Monday. I know a lot of people listening to this, monday.com, not Monday the day. Thankfully, yeah. we're through Monday the day. Um, coming back to monday.com though, I wanted to just kind of like briefly touch on the concept of adding an entirely new platform for to-do type things because that's a, people don't think about this as much as they maybe should. So can you just talk about like how difficult the transition to something like that is and like the thought that goes into it? I realize that's a really niche topic but I think it's so important. <laughs> well, not only that, Molly, I also, like. I, it's important to acknowledge we've lived has had six product launches in the first three months of 2023. Ooh. That has never happened before. So not only are we adopting a new um, kind of, yeah, project management platform, we're doing it in a really intense, like executional time. And again, I, I think what some learnings, number one, you need a champion. And again, there's a person on our team that was just like, all right, I will, she will, you know, I will hold your hand <laughs> and help you, right? I'm going to help you create these boards and take all this knowledge that was probably on Google Docs and in all these other places. We're going to bring it to this central place. And then the other thing that I thought was brilliant was like, I'm creating that kind of documentation of like, Here's how we're trying. This is a, this is kind of it's a live document, but here's how we're going to do what we're doing right now, and then doing using some of our shared meeting time to do tips and tricks, and to kind of show like here's a way to make the workflow easier. And um, we work with a lot of um, uh, collaborators. We contract with creative collaborators, and so not only is she doing that for her internal team also working with our collaborators in that capacity too. And I really like, I, I just, I'm so impressed. There's a, a we have, I don't, I, I'm always going to talk about the team, but there's so much trust and there's so much respect. And it's one of those things where it did take a lot of discipline to commit ourselves. Like that's what it actually is just like, we're going to really try and center our efforts here because if we try and do this and then also have it on e by email and in, in Google Docs and it's never going to work. Mm -hmm. And so I can't say like we're, I, I can say it's been a pretty successful work in progress. And um, yeah, we have more and more people again, internally and cross-functionally that are using this. And so as a collaboration tool, I do have very high hopes. But again, I think it takes a champion. And believe me, I had other things that I had to focus on and I couldn't personally be that champion. So I'm grateful to our, you know, our team member that was like, 
you know, lifted it up and was like, all right, we're doing it. You know, I was, like, oh. <laughs> I, mean, I was the one that I was like, you know, guilty. I didn't do this on Monday. And so now I'm really just trying to like be disciplined too. Love it. Love it. Now I've just, I've worked with so many different organizations that it seems like every other month they're like, okay, we're trying a sauna. Okay. We're moving to Trillo. Okay. We're on Monday. We're this, and it's just like mind bogglingly irritating. So I love hearing about like when people do make the decision to switch, kind of having that like thoughtful discussion through it. (laughs) Okay. Um, also you've now meant, you know, we've talked about a few of your, your coworkers and I would love to, you know, just talk about the fact that Live Cycling is, you know, a very like women driven company, women focused company, you know, how important is it to have so many women just all throughout the company at every level, you know, doing everything. And it's, let's not say like, it's just women. We're not like, it's not women only at Live, but there are a lot more than any other <laughs> area of the, or any other company in the bike industry. That's the same scale as Live, I would say. Yeah, I well from the beginning, Bonnie too, the board chairperson of Giant Group, she championed the need, you know, for a brand that puts women first. And importantly, you know, this was shared recently, but her voice and vision really came from her own experience as a writer. After returning to the sport, she was 57. And so at the time, she was chief financial officer. And that's and she start, returned to cycling. She's like, wait, we, we need to do this better for, for women, for me, for us. And so she's been an inspiration in many different ways. Um, and so today, our the leadership within Giant Group is um, reflects 30% at executive levels. So um, for those listening, there are four brands. Um, you know, there's Giant, there is Kdex, there is Live, and there is Momentum. And um, Live, um, as you can imagine, um, it's true for all of the brands. We operate with pretty lean teams. Um, but our, our leadership at the executive level, global and regional level really do rely on like dedication and drive. And it is women oftentimes that are carrying that, you know, like they're lifting that up. And of course we have the strength of work being supported through cross, you know, cross-functional collaboration across the brands. But I love that, I mean, we'll be on a Zoom call between collaborators and team members and there's like a dozen or more women. Like how did like, I just feel like that's really special. And especially, you know, being at an industry event and looking out and I still see probably 70 plus percent, you know, white men. Um, I, I recognize the, the benefit and the value of um, working on a team that is really informed by women's perspectives. Right. And I think what else is impressive is it is a lot of the women I know who work at Live have worked there for a very long time. Like it's not a company where people are just kind of bopping in and out. Like most women that I know that have worked there have been there for quite a few years. Even even the ambassadors, I would say, are tend to be very long lasting, which is very, very cool. I think it's just like it reflects a, a shared a core passion and a shared passion, of, you know, getting more women on bikes and and more representation in the industry. I really, I I am so impressed with people because it is true. There is a longevity and they're just, I think there's always like this drive to like, how can we do it? Like, how can we do it differently and better? How can we Mm. do, you know, this is like constant. And to be really, you know, kind of open, 
this year, there are a lot of headwinds in the industry. Like we're working with reduced budgets, especially on the marketing side. And so it's kind of, you know, relying upon the strength of the community and the strength of our shared and collective ingenuity. Like everything's changed. You Earlier you were talking about 2020 uh, uh, and like before we started this. And I, I think that this whole decade right now, as I know it, is the decade of pivoting. <laughs> major like significant pivots and at the end of the day I am really proud of the way in which you know thinking resourcefully like just thinking differently but always thinking about how like how can there be more inclusive you know inclusivity and how do we make decisions knowing that every dollar counts that reflects our values Mm -hmm. that's been it's been a really powerful thing to be a part of I love that. And I think you can actually really see that if you even just look at live on Instagram, what I've kind of noticed over the years is, especially in the past couple of years, you've really made more of a shift toward very like authentic posts that feel more like fun and just sort of like the, you know, like I'm just like scrolling through like content of like my friends out riding. And I think that actually really reflects this, like, okay, even if we have like a cut budget, what is the way that we can do this? in a really authentic, like fun way that actually might even reach women better than a like glossier marketing campaign would. The reality is like they, I mean, they're part of it. We're part of it. It's we, it's a community and the community of women, you can think about it in lots of different ways. Um, you know, community, community's already always been like a, a passion point for me in general, but there's so much potential right? When we really do think about um, what like acknowledging and bringing community together for shared purpose. And so, yeah, it can be in the spirit of play, which is, I mean, bikes are fun and it can be in the spirit of all these things. And also at this moment, it's still kind of towards the purpose of more equity because <laughs> that's a need, you know, societally and um, culturally. So it's fun to kind of under, like see how all of that can work together. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also from my perspective and how we're thinking about it in terms of the work, which is your point, is like, how do we enlist? How do we better engage? How do we lift up and celebrate those catalysts that are building community? Like we champion uh, you know, as a, as a brand, but they're actually the ones that are bringing more towards the sport. How do we acknowledge that and lift mm-hmm. that up and see that? and do it more and more intentionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That reminds me of back when I was at bicycling, like eight or nine years ago, and we were figuring out how to do our coverage of the Tour de France for that year. The editor in chief at the time, Bill Strickland, like came into the, you know, boardroom where we're all like hashing out ideas about like, you know, covering the pro races or whatever. And he's just like, he's like, what if we fan the fans? And it was like, it still remains this thing that just sticks in my head at all times. I think if you just like go where the fans are and you're celebrating them as well as what they're celebrating, I think that's like the secret sauce of recycling for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah. And you're, so this is actually where I want to talk about your background. So we didn't even really get to like, how did you end up at live and you worked at, you know, with TEDx, like all that stuff. So give us the background of like how you got your job, because I think that really plays into, or where you, where you came from before live, because I think that plays into this like community concept that you have. 
Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I think for me, um, getting to live, I mean, part of it is just like staying true to like core passions. And yes, I've always been fascinated by the power of community um, to unlock potential. Right. And I found my people, my community riding bikes. That's where, you know, I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, and so professionally, I found my my um, my place in my community in the creative industries. I really love so I began my career early, early. I was in social services and then I pivoted towards the creative industries because I really love the, the notion of seeing ideas brought to life. And um, my background was more towards health and sociocultural context. It was an interdisciplinary degree. Um, so when I joined a brand agency in the mid aughts, um, it was really good timing for me because social media platforms were just opening up pop, um, like the possibilities for cultivating online communities. So the partners of the agency that I worked for allowed me kind of the, the opportunity to explore and lead early guidelines for brands in the digital space. So you can see how like this, like, oh, it's like a innate passion that I have. And then I'm doing this exploration and then in this, this was the kind of foundation that where I became more of a specialist, um, really thinking in terms of community and developing brand strat strategies in the digital space. That moved more towards consulting, um, and at the and that decision was made so I could really um, choose the projects that I worked with and work values aligned. And, and you know, I was doing more outdoor industry um, projects, and then finally with Live where I get to work um, in a global capacity, that was definitely a strong pull for me. I mean, not only the brand values and vision, which align with my own, but also the allure of working with an international team and really looking at bike culture. You know, it's much different in South Korea and in Colombia and in, you know, Japan and in, in you know, the UK. So that's been a really uh, joyful aspect. Um, Except so for I'm going to say maybe the timing on phone calls sometimes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, it's true. <laughs> my, calls, like my first call today was at uh, 7 a.m. And definitely there's, we have, you know, our Asia, uh, calls with Asia that all go, you know, 7 p.m. and later sometimes. So that is, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, throughout my professional trajectory, I found a way to really integrate that passion for, for bikes and for cycling and one um, fun example that's now goes back a few years was um, Bend, Oregon was hosting the Cyclocross Nationals in 2009 and 2010. I was and there. You were? That was my first ever collegiate nationals. Yeah, I was there with Rutgers Cycling. Yeah, okay. I don't know if you got to experience cross culture, but it was the, there was in the city, we put on all these different events and we had spoken word and we had um, our arts walk that was like layering into downtown businesses. And basically I was the person behind that with uh, uh, the tourism bureau, Visit Bend. And so um, that was something that was really, it was kind of like the citywide multimedia arts festival is the way I would describe it, you know, but it was because I love that cyclocross community and I knew there was so much creativity there. And I was so excited to kind of like showcase you know, bend in a positive way. And I don't know how your experience was, but it was definitely a, a joyful effort. Well, I was going to say, I feel like I owe you such a huge debt of gratitude for that, because I think that was my first ever nationals. I'd only been racing for like a year, like bikes in general, not just cyclocross. And that trip, like that 
that year of cyclocross, but like that nationals, like I'm literally tearing up thinking about like how much that like race meant to me and how like that community like aspect and how strong it was there. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Truly a highlight. Also, it should be noted. It was still amazing despite the fact that it was like zero degrees, pouring rain. The course was just, just inches deep in water. I think at one point someone floated like an army of rubber duckies across the section of the course. It was incredible. Oh my goodness. So yeah, you and I go way, way back here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That I, I commend you because those racing conditions were intense and brutal. Actually, We'd flown from New Jersey, so we really didn't have a choice. Oh my God. (laughs) That was also the year I'm like completely derailing our conversation, but that was when it was powers versus, I believe, Trabone in like the final corner when Jeremy slipped, like slid out. Oh my my gosh. I have goosebumps thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, that's the other, like that racing was, yeah, just epic. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I kind of. I'm like cramping from a smile. I'm like, oh, I miss, I miss the early days of U.S. cyclocross, like yeah. really, really very much. But I mean, we're also in a really cool place right now with with cycling. Um, yes, so. and yeah, quickly on that, I really, I'm so impressed with you know the gravel community, and you know, mm-hmm. I was recently had an opportunity to listen to Amy Charity talk about steamboat gravel as one example of just intentional inclusivity. And I love, I mean, that is like, it's also, it's so powerful and meaningful. And we think about as somebody that has like worked on a lot of events and event production, you know, the intentional design that goes into that can make a huge difference, right? It does have a really strong ripple effect. And so just by, you know, virtue of being inclusive and definitely kind of creating more space for different categories and different writers, it has profound ripple effects. So um, hats off to um, Steamboat Gravel and to that, you know, overall in the category, I think that space has been one that's been important to the entire cycling industry. A hundred percent. Yeah. We had one of the the young women who is one of the adaptive riders at SBT on my other podcast, The Consummate Athlete, and she was absolutely phenomenal. Like I finished, I listened to that interview over and over again, because she just had me in tears talking about like how much it meant to her that a race like actually was, you know, being put on that she could take part in and she felt like she had her identity as an athlete back. And that's so, so important. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a little bit, it's moving from that. I also, from that example towards even recently closer to live, um, Alyssa Steely, who's one of our, um, you know, para triathletes, on the live racing collective, she was planning on racing at sea otter and there wasn't a category for para. And so she and Liz Walker were chatting and Liz was like, let's do something about that. And now it's on the program, right? Those that category is there. And so it is, you know, it's, I think this is the thing coming back to explicit examples of, of people that are catalysts that are creating opportunity for more inclusivity and really celebrating them, right? Celebrating that and um and and recognizing to, is just like how what a difference that makes and it's a benefit again to the entire cycling industry it's so you know it's just like oh my gosh if you if more people can see themselves and feel a sense of belonging to cycling there's just like i don't know just it's 
Yeah. I, exactly. I want that. I still hold that. Like I really get energized by the tremendous potential of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because in, in, you know, very different ways, you and I both work like tirelessly on the visibility for women in cycling. It's why I have the shred girl series. It's why you do what you do. Like, it's just, yeah. So, so important. And I mean, this, this makes me think about the other important part about that, which is also that frankly, all of this stuff is good business. And I think that's where I'm just like, how are we missing this? And so like, how are so many companies not getting on board with this? Like you're widening your audience, you're widening your target demographic. Why wouldn't we do this? It just makes sense. (laughs) That was really kind of the, that was the core of, of Bonnie's, um, you know, talk at the bicycle leadership conference, Bonnie too. And one example that I think is really, it's near and dear to me is just Aisha McGowan, who's a remarkable athlete and human being and has tremendous drive. And, you know, as a professional athlete, a sponsored athlete, professional, and now like in the world tour, riding in that capacity, building out more and more space with the black boxes for representation. And then also with the abundance project where they're really, you know, kind of working towards giving scholarships and opportunities for people that have never been in a race. Right. And that like the how the power of a person and you know just and that's just another example and now it's like there is this yes it's exactly like there's all these more and more people that can see themselves as cyclists and of course it's good for business exactly that's just like uh, yeah i don't know it just uh again i think that um from a leadership perspective and i do see uh, you know, like everybody that was in that room at the Bicycle Leadership Conference, but well beyond that, I think of you as a leader too, like in shaping conversations. And it's just like, we have a responsibility to the future to be more inclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And to think differently. And, um, and it's like, yes, it's great for business. And also it's just great for, it's just great for the world and for us and not to be too like bold about it, but that's how it feels, right? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I love that. I'm glad you brought up Aisha because she is just one of my absolute like favorite humans with everything she's done. And I was funny, I was thinking about her yesterday during my run. And I was thinking, I interviewed her for the first time back in 2014 when she had first started like cycling, first started racing. She was still a cat four. And I remember her saying like, oh, I want to be the first African-American pro female in in the US. And I remember listening to her and I have to admit, I was like, yeah. Okay. Like you're, you're a cat four racer in New York city. Like, okay, sure. Like good luck. I was excited for her, but I had no idea just how far she would go because I've talked to so many people who just get into cycling and want to go pro and to see her having done it, having like rocket shipped in the last decade is just the coolest thing. Like talk about someone who like planted their flag and just said, this is what I'm going to do. And like freaking did it like, Oh, is it- yeah, she's an incredible force and incredible inspiration. Honestly, like I have, uh, yeah, so much like regard, respect, everything. Like another hero. Honestly, I just like, yeah, I I, I love it, and I love to be a part of, you know, program pro- programmatically, like how supporting those, um, some of those expressions too. So yep, yeah, and actually, yeah, that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. Is women supporting other women. And this is this topic that I hear about very often in like podcasts that are run by like one woman, like 
entrepreneurial types or whatever, they always say it, but they're, they, they tend to say it in the context of like, they want more women supporting them. Um, and I think it's really cool when I'm actually seeing in, especially in the cycling industry, women truly do support other women in cycling. Like it's incredible. Yeah. I, I, I see that as well. And I, I love that there's something that we talk about at live and I want to give a kind of acknowledgement to, um, the women and Friedman, oh gosh, and uh, Amanatsu Sal, and it's called the shine theory. And the belief is that when I shine a light on you, it also reflects on all of us, right? Like there's no downside to celebrating, to recognizing, to supporting other women. There's no downside. And truly, I do think in terms of leadership, I mean, if we think about the femme, which of course I'd love to talk about, Tour de France femme, but if we think about leadership and we think about the momentum towards women's sports right now we're early wave like there have we had our pioneers that were before us but it's still like it's still building and it's still a very early wave of it and that is so incredible to think think about and myself sometimes I get a little I'll be honest like I have moments feeling discouraged feeling like I am you know bumping up against like systems and or things that weren't really built for feminine leadership or <laughs> And, um, but what encourages me is thinking like, you're really, you're part of this whole group of people that are clearing the path for the next generation and the next wave. And that feels really good. And it does give me like more, you know, inspiration. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Yes. And funny enough, I was going to bring up Tour de France Femmes next here. Uh, so let's talk about the live partnership with Tour de France Femmes. Like, how did this come to be? Why is it so damn important for women's cycling? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, yeah, I would love, I mean, yeah, we all want to, it's just, so the partnership itself is really due to tenacity, values, alignment, and vision. <laughs> I'll go into that in just a minute. I mean, I think it's really, obviously it's an important component of live to get more women on bikes, right? To create more opportunities for women to race professionally too. And we know that by adding dollars, you know, sponsorship dollars, the race, brands are helping to ensure longevity, and opportunity. And um, we do know that women's sports are finally starting to get the attention they deserve. And we're dedicated at live to being part of that momentum. But to be more specific, and because I really believe in the power of recognition, Rook Hopper, who was my predecessor at, um, in the Glib, the global marketing manager role, relentlessly pursued the ASO. When she heard their, of their plans to bring back the FEM, and it was really the shared alignment between Liv's values and the ASO um, to bring more equity into cycling that secured the agreement. I mean, that's something that they're like, we haven't partnered with a bike brand before for the, for the tour, the men's tour. And of course, all of this hinges on the vision of our executive team, I mean, decision makers. And so I'm really grateful to each one of the individuals and entities for that opportunity, right? I mean, that is just, yeah, uh, incredible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's also, it's, it, I think for me, it's like a fan of professional racing and of the athletes and their commitments. It is also profound to um, understand the importance of the Tour de France femme, right? Like to talk about, if you were to talk about cycling, and I've, I heard this in so many different interviews of so many different writers, like growing up, when they thought about cycling, it was, oh, and said they were a cyclist, it was always like, oh, the Tour de France, 
And so, you know, to, to finally have that and have it done with a really a commitment to infrastructure and to broadcasting and to see its success is tremendous. And also, I mean, I had the, the, the privilege of being on the ground during the event. And I have to tell you one little story. I mean, it was just, it was, <laughs> it was the, the first climbing stage and there was, it was the, I, I, I had a moment to like walk up course and there was a woman and she had knit Jersey replicas. Like, so all the Jersey, she did this, this knitted uh, replica and she had them strung up. And, and I was chatting with her and she's like, I've done this for the men's for, for 14 years. Finally, I get to do it for the women. Just like that. I mean, like I'm tearing up. I know. I just, it was, a, it was like one of those goosebumps moments where it's like the, the truth of it. It's the truth of it. Finally, we get to, you know, like celebrate um, this expression. And not only like, I just think the Tour de France Femme, it, it transcends the sport of cycling. I think it's very meaningful. I'm so impressed by um, Zwift sponsorship as well, and the Watch the Femme can't like. I love that um, that call to action and the like the the vision around that. I just like I I love it. I feel really proud to be um, kind of part of that momentum, um, you know, as a live team member and representative. Mm -hmm. um, of course, that sponsorship it takes a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> dedicated effort <laughs> yeah you're not writing a check and like that's that's all there is <laughs> yeah I mean taking on the task of the Tour de France film it requires a lot of collaboration a lot of creativity and also like the writers like a big appetite for endurance you know we do have a organizational strength given you know the leadership within our sales companies we work closely with our team in France um, on kind of the strategy and activation plan. And this year we, we opened it up even more. We are more, uh, we have a team of leaders representing, you know, live in Germany and the UK, um, also France and the US on the global team to really, you know, envision how we can align our efforts um, for, yeah, kind of impact. And also just to get more people truly watching the film and engaging with it. It's one thing if you're in Western Europe or if you're a person that's lucky enough to travel and be there, in France, but also how can we have more and more people watching and talking about it and, you know, really demonstrating the, the meaning and the value of it. So thinking a lot about that these days too. Yes, absolutely. And one thing I was talking to Kate Verano from Zwift about uh, recently was this idea, like it's year number two, you know, how do you yes. not just you know, have a second year, how do you have the second year be better than the first? And you're doing that it, and it is, it is arguably difficult because on one hand, like, yay, it's established and everyone is really stoked last year and it went phenomenally well. The racing, I'm going to say way better than the guys, just putting it out there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, getting, <laughs> maintaining the momentum and surpassing the momentum when it's not year one is, is tricky, right? Like there's nothing sexier than a launch. So how do you, how do you keep it going? So, I mean, actually... I'm working on an article for bicycling right now that is how do we keep women's cycling going because you know the the women's tour in the UK recently got canceled because of lack of funds and we're sort of exploring like okay why how did that happen and yeah. how can you know fans of cycling make sure that doesn't happen and I think watching is really like the number one thing that fans can do is 
watch and be posting about it and keep that stoke level alive. Yeah, I um, agree. I think I saw a really incredible example last year. Um, I wasn't here for it, but um, Janelle Skilker, who is an ambassador, a live ambassador. I know, she's amazing. Um, She partnered with Rebecca Hines, who's a a producer that lives in Bend, and they basically put together kind of a, a, a party, an event, a watch party. And so they did, they created, you know, they had trivia, they opened it up to the community. There were over 150 people that showed up to watch a stage of the tour. And what they also, it's also this, like all these new connections being made with cyclists or people that identify or have curiosity around cycling. And Mm -hmm. so that type of, um, that's a really, I think, a way that is accessible to kind of not only have a community focus, but also like the share, because if you don't have a lot of, you don't know um, professional cycling and road cycling tactics and that it's really good to have somebody that can kind of, uh, yeah, decode that for you, right? And share a little bit of like, here's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Here's why also, it's exciting. Yeah, 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 so I think that enhances the experience. So I, I get excited about the potential for more of that. And I also, I haven't been there myself, but I've heard of this place and I'm told there's others in the US, but. Um, in Portland, there's a, uh, the sports bra. I was is, just going to mention that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's just like these, they, again, it's a business that's dedicated to showing and celebrating women's sports, right? Like these, it's, it's just, again, that, that notion of fanning the fans that you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. right? Like they are also those generators of of, of fans, right? Like they're on a big, on a big level. What do we, how do we kind of lift that up and show that back and create, you know, it's kind of like sparking, um, new, uh, yeah, just kind of, uh, new possibilities in people's imaginations about how they connect with cycling. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there is still so much there and I am encouraged by, you know, the momentum in, uh, women's, um, soccer and you know if you've ever gone to any like professional soccer game but Angel City is one that I went to last year in in the LA area and I was like oh my gosh like this it's feeling it sells out stadiums right that's mm-hmm. and so there is this it's for I don't know for so many reasons I think seeing women and not just like as women seeing women but as the world seeing women in these powerful you know, rules and expressions is just like, there's, there's a lot more that is going to happen. And I think it's happening soon. I still I'm like, so excited for the future. So excited. Yes. And I think, you know, that that trickles down. And one thing, like I said, in the beginning of this, that I've always loved about live is not only are you, you know, partnering with Tour de France Femmes, you're also doing really great stuff with educating by providing like resources for newer cyclists. Like I've written for you a couple of times on things like, you know, the, the undercarriage situation on the bike and how to avoid saddle sores and all that fun stuff. Cause that's my area of expertise in a, <laughs> in a weird way. Um, and I love that that content exists on your site because I think it is really important that you know, a lot of women get into cycling because of a guy, you know, whether it's their dad, whether it's a boyfriend, you know, cycling is still male dominated. So it makes sense that a lot of us come into cycling, riding with a guy, you know, again, dad, boyfriend, friend, whatever. And then having those women's resources available is just so, so helpful to make people feel less, uh, less alone or less like they can't ask those questions. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for the compliment. I mean, it definitely as, uh, you know, from the team, we're thinking about how to connect the dots, like from products to writer guides and resources to retail opportunities, to ambassador networks, to professional teams and to our sponsorships and partnerships. Right. So that really allows a full spectrum consideration. And I, you know, it's like no one, it, it's just like, it's the collective and it's that intent. And it helps to always just like have great leadership and vision on the team and collectively, you know, keeping on keeping an eye on how do we balance our efforts, right? We know in the pandemic, there were more people that came into cycling. That's really exciting. And um, so what, what do they need right now to can kind of continue along that journey mm-hmm. is something, you know, we think about and, or we all had this constricted experience around social writing. And now it's like, okay, we're really kind of in a space of like, it's coming back, like just like you're going to the sea otter in a couple of weeks and it's that reunion feeling, but also with that potential, what can we do? You know, asking ourselves those questions is, is really, it's a fun, it's a fun pursuit. Obviously it takes a lot of uh, work as well, but I love that we get to think about those questions and, and um, to answer them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, what, what would I call it? Like, it's like educate, entertain and elevate I would say are sort of like the three the three pillars of how how your marketing mission works here I like that <laughs> I just like uh-huh. anything where we can have like the synchronicity of uh, you know all E's or all C's or something so <laughs> yeah I like I haven't framed it quite that way but I really do I think that is on point for sure and certainly I think that elevates uh, that is something that is really, it's again, kind of recognizing um, the the people and the people straight up, the people that are bringing more, bringing others into the sport with the belief that everybody deserves a good writing experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I could clearly talk to you for hours. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like we might have the same brain right now. <laughs> this hour went by way too fast. So t- before we go though, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find Liv, where they can keep an eye on Tour de France Femmes, all the fun stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, follow Liv Cycling um, on Instagram. I think that's a great place. Um, and for me, I am Cassandra, just my first name on Instagram and I'm also on LinkedIn. And I really, actually, I just joined this um, WhatsApp group, Women in the Industry. If you're not in it, Molly, I'll share a link with you. Um, I have this dream right now that we can have an, it doesn't, it can be an unconference, but I want this gathering of all the women that are kind of like really shaping the future of the bike industry um, meeting or having opportunities for meetings. They don't even have to be high cost, but a WhatsApp group is a great place to start. Anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm all about connection for sure purpose. And I'd love to connect with people that are, are listening. And thank you again for your for your time and, and interest in Live and, and in my role with Live. I love it. Thank you so much, Cassandra. This was so much fun. Yay. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Again, I just found it so, so 
invigorating to chat with Cassandra all about the marketing side of the cycling world. I think there are so many great takeaways, no matter what size your business is, no matter what, uh, you know, whether you've just started out, whether you've been growing your business for years, I think there's just so many really valuable takeaways. And I think, you know, if you are a new business, I think it's worth thinking about sort of these bigger picture things. What do you want your business to feel like when it does get huge and successful, right? It's it's always better to kind of be thinking about these when you're on the, the ground floor. And I definitely, I'll be sure sharing later this month about a project I'm working on where that is exactly what I'm doing. Uh, it's very tempting to think very small, think very like, oh, I'll just get this thing up and going and sort of figure stuff out as I as I go. And that's important. But I think thinking about the, the vibe and your mission and your values and stuff early on in a business really helps really direct where you want to go with it. So definitely worth taking a lot of her points to heart, no matter whether you're a week into your business journey or your years in. All right, if you like this episode, do me a huge favor, rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. I really, really appreciate it. And of course, follow us over at business.of.fitness on Instagram or follow me at Molly J. Herford. Thanks so much, and I will see you next week.